We are back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call, and I am in the studio with Altia Spinazzi, sorry, and we're going to talk about fixed income. And um, while well, some of the themes will be this will sort of be the same, but we also had some terrible developments over the weekend, Altia. Um, we had the the attack from Hamas on uh, Israeli uh, civilians, and then the uh, the counterattack from uh, from Israel. And that situation has a lot of geopolitical uh, implication, which we covered in yesterday's podcast with uh, with Sharo uh, on macro. So uh, go listen to that in, um, to that podcast episode if you want anything on that. But I think in terms of the bond reaction, because yesterday, Altia, there was. Um, the bond market in the U.S. was closed, so we didn't get any. We didn't have any prices really to infer how the bond market was thinking about what what this means for the for the for the bond market and etc. Inflation expectations, the economy, etc. But uh, now we got bonds trading. So, what is sort of the the verdict on on uh, from the bond market and what happened over the weekend? So, uh, Peter, this morning we woke up with a bond la- a rally in the U.S. We have seen the U.S. yield curve bull flattening. So basically long-term yields drop pa- faster than short-term yields. And that's typical when we see this uh, flight to safety. What was surprising for me is uh, to see 10-year U.S. Treasuries uh, supported above 4.5%. Actually, it never dipped below 4.6%. And uh, that makes me think that uh, the market is still not over the sell-off that we have seen in the past couple of weeks. And uh, we talked about that, uh, Peter, already, but there is a lot of selling pressure, quantitative tightening, increased spending uh, due to fiscal deficits, so more bond issuance, uh, foreign investors repatriating home. And also when we talk about uh, war uh, between uh, Israel and uh, and a mass and also a possible involvement of the U.S., what we are talking about is higher inflation, slower growth, and bigger spending. And that spending, how does it come about? Well, more bond issuance in the U.S. So probably we don't see long-term yields dipping lower and closing below those levels that were broken above last week um, just because... uh, the market is conscious that uh, what is happening uh, might be still supportive for higher yields. Yeah, so probably we will we would have to see a, a massive uh, escalation of this conflict for for bonds to suddenly reverse and be, be traded like a safe haven, I guess. But so maybe we're still moving towards that five percent uh, bond land. But um, I'll tell you, I want you to to comment a little bit as well on those speeches we had yesterday because there were a couple of the Fed members that spoke out on you know interest rates. Uh, policy and inflation, and they they sounded way less hawkish suddenly, right? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say they sounded less hawkish, but the message was very much in line with what uh, Daly said uh, last week. So we had Logan and Jefferson saying uh, that the uh, rise in long-term yields uh, might be substituting uh, another Federal Reserve rate hike because it's tightening financial condition further. But that is its uh, common knowledge. The market already knew that. What we really need to have in order to have a bond rally that is going to see yields dropping dramatically in the front part of the yield curve and the long part of the yield curve, so we're talking about a bull steepening, uh, we need basically the Federal Reserve to sound dovish. And that's not going to 
not going to happen in the foreseeable future. Uh, the Federal Reserve, especially with these uh, new developments in the Middle East, uh, is uh, even more locked. It cannot hike, it cannot uh, cut, uh, it just has to stay on hold. And uh, the pressure on long-term yields is still there. Yeah. We're not going to talk about a lot of equities in, in this podcast, but I just find it funny that there's a lot of people in, in the equity market that are wishing for for uh, for peak rates and, and rates to be cut. But I actually think that the conditions for in which the Fed would cut the interest rates would actually mean that we are moving into a very dire strait for the for the economy, and that would be bad for earnings growth, etc. But I will talk about that on, in tomorrow's uh, podcast. But I'll tell you, um, so <clears throat> where are some of the best places to to be positioned if you want that bond exposure? We talked about in, in the last couple of podcasts that you know we've reached yields where the carry offsets a lot of the downside downside risk. So maybe the timing risk is maybe not. A, so important any longer in the in the bond market if you just want the exposure. But if you if you want to go into bonds today, where do you want to have the exposure? Is is it still the short end of the yield curve, or would you st- or are you getting a little bit more positive on the long end of the yield curve? What do you think, Peter? I'm very boring in the meaning <laughs> <laughs> in the in the meaning that I still like the front part of the yield curve. I really like quality, and I really like what you just said before, right? If the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates, is because the state of markets are not good. There is this idea that the Federal Reserve will gradually cut rates because inflation is gradually descending. So there is no meaning to keep a real Fed fund rate that high for so long. But realistically, um, everything points that something is going uh, going to break. And, uh, and that's what is making me boring. I don't want to take credit risk. I'm still undecided about the duration risk because I see a lot of pressure still on the long part of the yield curve. And I want safety. I want quality. Um, you know, like a lot of people have been looking at emerging markets now. We have 21 countries that trade in distressed territory in the emerging markets. So I'm talking about the hard dollar, like the hard currencies issues, uh, their US dollar benchmarks. And the spread that they offer on the US treasuries is around 1,000 basis points. Wow. They're about to get burst and they cannot refinance that debt. 21 countries? Yeah. Okay. That's quite a lot. Uh, and there is Egypt, there is Ethiopia, obviously there is Argentina, Tunisia, Gabon. There is a long list and uh, that's quite dangerous. And the thing is that uh, what investors don't realize is that when something very distressed gets burst, get, uh, go bust, um, then everything that has some sort of risk is going to suffer. So... If we look at, uh, like we said in the last uh, uh, podcast, uh, what junk offer over investment grade uh, corporates in the US is around 280 basis points. In Europe uh, is 470 basis points. So one can say, oh, I'm going to buy European high uh, high yield uh, uh, corporates because they pay much more over quality than the U.S. counterparts. But if the U.S. counterparts start to widen, there is no rescue for European credits either. So this is the beauty and the complexity of the bond market, that when things go down, they they start to spread pretty fast and risk sells off very quickly. 
Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> so I think the the boring message is uh, look for high quality investment grade if you uh, bonds if you want, but otherwise stay at the short end of the yield curve. The uh, the two year maturities five percent you're offered in the in the US and the and the UK. So, but uh, um, I just wanted to refresh some level yeah, in the investment sure, sure. grade corporate space in the US, UK, and EU. Uh, in the US now, um, investment grade corporate with maturity from one to three years is paying around 6% in yield. And in the UK, the same quality and maturity gives you slightly more, 6.3%. And when I look at the EU, investment grade corporates one to three years maturity provide 4.6% in yield. So it's not really a bad uh, place where to be to stay defensive one can lock in uh, yields and wait until maturity because we are talking about pretty short uh, pretty short uh, maturities and uh, if there is going to be a sell-off uh, they are not gonna suffer as much as uh, lower uh, lower rated uh, instruments all right good stuff um Altea, we are flying south of Copenhagen and all the way down to I don't know Rome or, or Torino. What what do you want? Um, we, in any case, we're going to Italy uh, because you know in this cycle with high interest rates in Europe, the Italians and the Italian government were the first one to complain or at least complain loudly against the ECB. That's a mistake to uh, to be this restrictive as interest rates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what we have seen recently is uh, some pretty you know technical uh, breakouts on the uh, the BTP bond spread, which is basically this, the the um, nominal bond yields between Italian government bonds and German government bonds, and um, that has widened and broken above two hundred basis points. So, what are you seeing in in Italy, and why do you think this spread is widening, and what does it tell you, and what what how do you think about it? So. Yesterday, when the market opened in Europe, European sovereigns served as a safe haven for investors looking for shelter while uh, uh, news were spreading about this conflict uh, in uh, in Israel. Um, the only sovereigns in Europe that didn't receive uh, safe haven bid were Italian BTPs. And uh, that's quite quite bad for Italian sovereigns because it means that the perception of risk for foreign and domestic uh, uh, investors is higher there than anywhere else um, in Europe. We talked about a lot about uh, why um, the 200 basis point BTP boom spread is important politically because uh, on one side the ECB doesn't want to have higher cost of funding in Italy compared for example to France or to Germany but on the other side, uh, it's also a problem politically in, I- in Italy because uh, financial conditions are much tighter there than anywhere else in Europe. And the, in the, the Italian government rightly says, well, why do you take it on us, right? Uh, we, we are the same kind of European citizens as anybody else yeah. uh, in the euro area. Uh, but uh, when I look at the debt st- distribution of Italy, the picture is quite worrying. Uh, the majority of maturities uh, that are going uh, are going to be this year and next year, and uh, they amount for around 20% uh, of all the bonds uh, that uh, the Italian government has issued and has outstanding. That's massive. 
And those uh, BTPs have to be refinanced at current market rates that are incredibly high. So there is, uh, the, the reason why we see the BTP boom spread whitening is a lot, it has a lot to do with macroeconomic conditions. Italy is not seen to grow that much in the next few years and the fiscal budget is swelling. But also, it's, the government is facing this wall of maturities that need to test international markets because, yeah, Italians are big buyers of BTPs, but can they absorb that much that much issuance. We don't know that. And uh, I want to send out a message out there. Whenever there is problems in uh, BTPs uh, or, and we look at the BTP boom spread, uh, a lot of the time, the maturities that suffer the most are not long-term maturities, but the very front part of the yield curve. Because, and also in this case, uh, it might be the same. So what I'm saying is that we might see the front part of two years, three years maturity spiking uh, in yields uh, compared to longer maturities because the wall of uh, refinancing that we are facing and the problems uh, of uh, fiscal budget growth uh, are concentrating in the very short part of the yield curve. Uh, final question before we uh, we end the podcast, Altia. Is there a Maloney risk premium? So Maloney <clears throat> being the um, being the head of the government in, in Italy because, you know, the it seemed like seemed like there was a, a little bit of a break in in the trust in the Italian government over this whole banking tax. You know, it was rushed to, to legislation and it, you know, caused a dip in the banking stocks. Or is there no Maloney risk premium or is there, how is that, you know, the government perceived from outside of the firm investors? It's very hard to say, but... Uh, um I don't think that uh, there is a Meloni premium, as you call it. Uh, obviously, um, she's actually had uh, more success uh, than her predecessors. Uh, like She has been e- able uh, to take forward Italy without major political volatility, uh, which is great. It's a feat in from- itself. Yeah, exactly. But um, but realistically, the politics uh, Italian, of the Italian government remain populist. Yeah. And uh, therefore, uh, that's a problem for that fiscal deficit that uh, it's definitely above uh, the European restrictions. And it doesn't seem is going to meet them uh, for the next uh, three years. So I think that the concerns of foreign investors right now are very much about the economic backdrop and whether Italy is going to be able to refinance that wall of maturity that is facing this year and next year. All right. I think that concludes today's podcast. That was a great stuff, Eltia. And um, yeah, so in the in the week ahead, watch out for geopolitical uh, risk, of course, and safe haven bids uh, potentially in the U.S. Treasury market. Or are we moving to still to the, the 5%? We haven't seen a retreat that was big enough, at least. So um, I think the trend is still intact. Stay in the short end of the U.S. and U.K. yield curve and watch out fatally in the B2B bond spread. That was all, and we'll be back again tomorrow with Equities. Thank you for listening.